Hello and welcome back to the English and Maths booth. My name's Holly Barnes and this week I'm joined by the wonderful Josh Spears. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me, Holly. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us. Do you just want to um, give a bit about yourself to our, our listeners? Absolutely. Uh, so yes, my name is Josh. Uh, I teach um, Reset GCSE English uh, in a college in the northeast of England. Uh, I teach it to both 16 to 18s and I also teach it to adults as well. Fabulous. Um, so how's your, how's your week going, Josh? So far, it's absolutely lovely. We're off um, for Easter break, although it's uh, mostly been taken up with us uh, sort or of doing all our preparation for teacher assessed grades so a bit of work a bit of play a bit of sunshine it's been uh it's been pretty good so far <laughs> and as we record today it's it's the sunniest day so far of the year i think i know definitely up here it's uh, approaching 18 degrees hopefully it gets to 20 today it'll be nice and warm good for the plants outside at the very least practically tropical mm-hmm. <laughs> so um Josh, what is um, what's happening at the moment with your with your learning? Are you all online? Are you uh, back in the classroom? So currently, we are uh, we're doing a blended approach. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly, we're now back on site, teaching face to face. But there are some elements where we've moved online, uh, including a couple of classes that have elected uh, to stay entirely online. Wow. Um, so we're doing a bit of a blended approach, and it's working really well for us. That's good. I think that's what most um, most colleges are about. We're we're similar, so we we do one online and two lessons face to face. So um, for listeners who who don't really know, kind of the the setup for English and, and maths, we have to fulfil three hours a week, isn't it? But that yeah. three hours could be an hour, or it could be two sets of um, one and a half hours as well. Yeah. Cool. So how how's you found online learning? So I absolutely loved it. Um, I've always been a bit of a tech head. Uh, I, I was uh, one of the only people in the college to have done uh, a Google for Education certification. So we, you know, we use primarily just G Suite. And uh, the early days of the pandemic, you know, all those all those months ago, near enough year to the day, you know, we were thrown into that with very little warning. Um, and we were thrown into that with very little expectation of what we needed to deliver. And because I work with such a professional and excellent group of people who were willing to learn, listen and do, we actually created our own virtual learning environment using Google Chat, Google Meet, Google Classroom. And we were able to retain our our students um, and keep them engaged at a time where our students were effectively cut off from the outside world. Um, So online learning for that, for those kind of was it six to eight weeks leading up to summer? Is that what, is that how long it was? You yeah. know, it was all spent just, you know, engaging with those learners, getting them to uh, not feel so alone, checking up on them, checking up on the mental health. That became a big part of our job, making sure they were felt felt safe, but also continuing on with their education in, in, in the face of, are there going to be exams? We, we were effectively being asked questions that even the people above us didn't know the answer to. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, summer came and online learning came up back again in, I think, what was it? it we had on and off bits of online learning, you know, in the in the winter term because, you know, entire classes were being isolated and whatnot. And it was almost like a return to normality. But then we had the experience. We knew what we were doing. We were an exceptionally skilled team online. So we did really well. Um, and then came January, three, <laughs> three months of uh, back to how it was. And 
you know, I, I couldn't have been happier with how my learners really rose to the challenge. And we got some great work done. We started working on these new units. We taught entirely to, entire topics virtually and they got wow. them just proving that with the right knowledge and the right skill and the right attitude towards this digital learning can be as effective, if not more effective than in-class learning. Yeah, there was this, um, I don't know if it was the same kind of feelings that, um, with you, but I think there was a lot of worry amongst other English teachers that I'd spoken to um, about trying to teach reading and writing online and, and the difficulties actually of that, not just from an engagement point of view, but um, you know, trying to teach uh, reading skills when we don't know if they've read the text or um, you know, we don't know if they're going to be able to have that same interpretation. Are we going to have the same discussions? Mm, mm, absolutely. Um, and uh, I found that, I mean, we, we, we were prepared with an anthology we'd made together as a department. And uh, so we, we were all singing from the same sheet, hymn sheet. And our learners had access to the anthology from day one, both in print and digital form. We got them used to reading digitally whenever we could, because we knew back in August and September that we were going to be in lockdown again. I think we all knew it in the education industry. So we, we planned yeah. for it. And uh, we taught them how to use Google Docs um, to, to make comments on what they read, to use the color highlights, to still have those transferable skills. So if they were, was going to be an exam, they could just get on there and highlight and do the usual thing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so we, we did okay. We did all right. And the learners have kind of adapted quite well as well. Yeah, and, and I think there's, um, you know, we, we've spoken to quite a few guests and, and obviously a lot, of, a lot of people in the industry and sector, sorry. And, um, you know, there, are, there have been some really fantastic parts of, of online learning. You know, for, for some of my learners, writing um, is what they are, more confident with and actually being able to write on a computer and type everything up and to search and have those images of prompts that's really helped to develop their writing as well mm, absolutely having it, it digital tools have enabled our most needy learners to to achieve um in in all all areas of the exam but especially writing as well because they're no longer yeah. held back by that perception that their handwriting defines them absolutely um so we were just having a chat, weren't we, prior to yeah. this, we've been um, talking away. And um, we were talking a lot about the the cultural poverty side of things that we see in the classroom mm. um, and how, for some of our learners, they've never experienced certain situations and the difficulties of putting those situations across, mm. um, whether they're really quite simplistic or whether they're on a, on a larger scale. Um, you know, whether it's taking your bin out and not being able to write about it or um, writing about a time where you, you've been at the seaside. And I think that's, although they may not have experienced those kind of scenarios whilst we've been online, um, there's there's been, a, that's been another barrier, hasn't it, with online learning of trying to maybe engage them into those types of topics. Absolutely, absolutely. It, and it's, it's lockdown is only, has only made this worse as they've been unable to get outside. Um, and from another kind of flip side of this, um, if you think about it, you know, how many learners have had to borrow equipment um, from, uh, from college uh, to, to get online? How many of them are, are sharing a laptop between five, five other members of their family? How many of them don't have reliable internet access because they live out in the sticks? Um, we, we end up with this kind of massive disparity of learning between the, the haves and the haves nots. And this cultural poverty just drives that forward. I mean, there's a, there's a figure. Um, 
there's a, there's a figure out there. It's about thirty percent of learners are are in some degree of uh, of financial poverty, and financial mm-hmm. poverty and cultural poverty they're not necessarily synonyms for one another, but they are related, mm-hmm. and they and that relation is is close to parity enough in that many students mm-hmm. who come from poor backgrounds do not have access to museums, art galleries, theatre, libraries, um, nature walks. And thus, they're, they're learning and working class that allows them to have those basic human experiences is not there and they suffer yeah. for it. And we, we kind of have a, a duty, you know, to to encourage them to go out and experience these things. You know, we, there, there's almost like a, a barrier sometimes. I think it's maybe teenage hormones. <laughs> um, but, you know, where, where they say, you know, what, what about going to this? this particular place or um you know have you considered reading this book and and immediately it's kind of shut down because it's out of their their norm you know that it's not something they've done before yeah. and quite frankly it's not sometimes it's not cool they don't think oh well, i'm not going to go to a museum because it's not cool yeah uh, which is fair enough but the, we we have to be a driving force for trying to show them experiences that they could have like. yeah absolutely absolutely and uh so what, what i always try to include um important cultural landmarks in the text that I give them as you'll know being a fellow English teacher you know we have to give these kids extracts from 20th and 19th century texts that are, that are non-fiction depending on what exam board you're with and that's your gateway that's how you can show them these new and interesting kind of uh, landscapes and worlds out there that they can then engage with and you have to relate them uh, by degrees as well uh, one of the things that I did um, for many uh, for many students who couldn't access, say, the seaside or access even transportation to a to a more rural area to explore, is I use Google Earth um, to create guided tours um, around literary characters. So I've got one up right now, um, which takes you around the one of the uh, living areas of Beatrix Potter. You get to explore the lake that she wrote at, and I've got that. So you can click on a button; it'll take you through a beautiful slideshow of street views, and they can go through it bit by bit and explore that. Um, what a fab idea yeah. that's brilliant yeah, it's um, called google earth voyages not many people know about it but the minute i think the education sector gets their teeth into it we're going to see a huge takeoff yeah definitely there's all uh, even on like apple maps now on phones is there you can zoom in on a place and it will give you a tour around the city absolutely yeah so if you've never if you've never been to um another country or you you know you've never been maybe outside of your area you you can now explore um big city centres like Manchester and, and um, Edinburgh and it will walk almost, it's like a flyover. Yeah. So that, that's a really, yeah, that's a really useful tool actually. I need, to, I definitely need to look at bringing that more into the classroom. Yeah. Especially because we, um, we talk about the, this creative side and, um, you know, creative writing is, is reliant on creativity, but we, we try and draw in experiences in all of our areas, whether it's reading or um, creative mm. writing. Yeah. To pull that forward and like you were saying you know it's it's difficult if your go-to lesson um for for some teachers it could be you know here's a here's a picture of the seaside um now use the five senses to talk about it well how do you know what go, how do you know what sea air smells like if you've never exactly. been there someone just says oh it smells salty and you're like okay cool yeah. well I'll just write it down yeah exactly we have to provide um the landscapes for which we want them to write about and uh, and unfortunately, you know, we're, we're, we're past the age where we can kind of, you know, just walk an entire class out and for an impromptu field trip. You know, mm-hmm. this just doesn't happen anymore, unfortunately. Um, but what we can do is open the windows 
and get them to look out. And we, we, we're quite lucky where I work. We have quite a large, we have a beautiful garden um, outside my, my window that's tended to by our, um, by a pro, one of our, one of our learning programs. And it's absolutely lovely to watch them kind of, you know, digging up and planting, planting flowers. And you can smell it when they cut the grass and I tell them to get to the window and just kind of take that in. And they come away from that feeling a little bit silly because, you know, they've all been crowded around a window, but they feel much happier. Of course, we haven't been able to do that this year because of the, because of the pandemic. And we've had to kind of, I've had to kind of narrow it down, look in the room. What do you smell? Is it cooking? How, what do you hear? Sounds of your family and get them to kind of just express that and get used to being kind of five sensory being. Uh, We we forget that our learners are very much a, a sight and sound orientated people. Um, they rely yeah. on their phones. All a phone can give you is sight and sound. And when you expose them to the rest of the universe, effectively, they, they get a bit confused. But we get there and they become writers through that. I'm going to play devil's advocate now, Josh. So what what if, um, you know, we're talking about a theme of holidays? Would would you would you still present that to, to a group, knowing that maybe um, 75% of them have never been on a holiday? Well... The issue we've got there, and, and you're quite right to raise it, is that, you know, majority of the questions that come up in in the text, you know, right about a time you went somewhere and they struggle yeah. to, to, to do that. So what do you do? Well, what I've been doing is I've been showing them uh, video clips and episodes from not just, you know, David Attenborough's Life on Earth, but of, uh, of, of a bit of Carl Pilkington when he goes on his uh, idiot abroad stuff. Oh, and yeah, they think that. that's the most the funniest thing they've ever seen in their life. And I said, well, how do you think he felt there? And they'll produce these little kind of, you know, paragraphs about being him walking through, you know, Egypt and the dust and the dirt and the smells. So you can still engage them. You just have to show them. You have to give them that stimulus. And then you can, after they're, they're capable of seeing something on a screen and, and being able to put themselves in a character's shoes and they're able to perform the most vital kind of uh, task of all writers which is to become empathic with your reader and create a sense of empathy because mm. that's all all what it's about and, and in transactional writing as well what if they get asked to write a travel guide and they've never been out of the county you know it's gonna be it's gonna yeah. be hard for them yeah and and you know these um much like we were saying in, in another episode with with Steph about um these situations are are they fit for purpose that we're seeing in the exams are they are they engaging enough for learners to want to talk about? I know you're not with um with AQA. Um, um, when with AQA, we've had exams that are um about like you know bicycles, but how many how many of our learners cycle or own mm. a bike and having to draw a comparison? Different viewpoints, you know, it's not explicitly about bikes, but there's an overarching theme of that, you know, uh, linking to transport. So some of our learners. Um, that live near our college are most likely to walk and not actually get on a bus or um, you know some of them don't cycle because they live an hour and a half bus journey away so there, there are some things that they can link to but still not entirely within that topic just because they have a little bit about transport or they can relate to a little bit doesn't mean they can make the wider kind of connection yeah, absolutely you, you're right the, the exams um, are not are not fit for purpose um, and although that edXL is doing that um it start the initiative of English language lift to try and kind of change the dynamic. It's unfortunately starting to skew it in the opposite direction where it's making it far more functional when these young people haven't even got a clue to what functionality really is. We should be inspiring yeah. their creative selves and being, we, we should be opening up uh, these, these young learners to the world, not shutting them away, not telling them or teaching them that it's just a, it's an equation. Life is an equation to be solved, but it's a journey to be walked 
and we need to start helping them have these experiences and, and more importantly working with the exam boards and the exam boards are great they do these consultations to to share our experiences with them and share our experiences with each other as, as educators because no one educator can afford to be an island as well we need to riff off each other yeah. in that respect so going back to um, something else we talked about earlier, what, what what is it that we think that our learners need? So what about, um, what do they want to, what do they need in order for them to be successful? What things need to change, do you think? I think um, this, is, this is quite it's quite a large question. Hopefully I can, I can be more succinct uh, with it. <laughs> so our learners, firstly, they need a space into it, uh, to grow into adulthood. That's the first thing they need to be respected and given the and given the lead to to earn that respect with you. Um, I, I operate in my classroom. I have two boxes, the box of shame, the box of awesome. You mess around too much. You go in the box of shape. You're in there three times. You know, I'm going to write you up on our uh, on our monitoring software. It's going to go to your head of department. Now, if, if you do something amazing, if you contribute, if you write something beautiful, if you have a good idea or you help another student, you go in the box of awesome. You go in there three times. I write to your tutor, but I write positively. And because of that, they, they had to change um, the system we use for monitoring to add like a positivity column because English and maths, as you well know, Holly, is often considered to be the source of most problems oh. for departmental areas in terms of discipline. A student, a student comes into college not to do English and maths, but they come in there to do the vocational qualification of their choice. So when they feel for English and maths, yeah. they don't get on with it. And behavioral issues that wouldn't be an issue in the main qual are a massive issue for English and maths but if we praise these students if we reward them if we if we respect them they will suddenly go this isn't like school at all I can be my authentic self here and they can grow into themselves and become adults and some of them as we know mm. that's not going to happen but for the ones that it works for it's just beautiful to watch yeah you're absolutely right and you know we've spoken about the the respect in the classroom that that and how we have to build that and how those those first initial weeks are really really important for creating that environment we're not just talking about you know the the routines and rituals of welcoming them in and and you know saying hello how's your day and and that and we're, we're talking about the entire kind of experience mm. aren't we um from from the start and how we how we move forward with that and it's true you know we we stereotypically do have a lower attendance in English and maths um, at college. We, and we do have um, different behavioural issues that crop up. And that's, they stem from different reasons, though, don't they? You know, um, if they're playing up in vocational, it may be a different reason or it's, it's spurred on by something else. But we know that a lot of them can be deep-rooted down to um, loss of hope or um, pu just pure fear of being mm. in the classroom as well. So... Uh, yeah, I definitely think that there's there's a lot of things that need to change um, for English and maths learners. And I think that we we as English and maths teachers have to be the driving force of that. We have to find what they are and, and we have to make those changes yeah. initially, don't we? Uh, which is what a lot of fantastic educators like yourself are doing. So, so uh, we'll just move on to our final question then, Josh, which is um, what's your most memorable so, lesson? So, yeah, so I was teaching... Uh, uh, about 15 level one bricklayers and plumbers um, and uh, very much an attitude related class, very a bunch of tough lads and there no, no ladies in there. Unfortunately, they're all kind of trying to posture and pose to one another. Um, and of course I try to make it engaging. I, I basically, I do a bit of an extract from game of Thrones 
Um, and they sort of look at it a bit skewy, if not really any of them engage. And I'm thinking, if Game of Thrones isn't getting these kids motivated, I don't know what is. You know, you know, this is a really fantastic fantasy epic. Why are they not engaging with it? And I chose a fairly tame passage because you know how that show and that show and that book could have been. But I, I, it was quite, you know, descriptive and beautiful in its own way. Anyway, at the end of the lesson, yeah. this one kid stays behind. And this kid is a troublemaker. And he stays behind. I thought, what's he going to kick off about now? And he goes, so uh, I really like Game of Thrones. Yeah. What do you think of Ed Stark? What do you, what do you think his character arc's going to be? And I'm se- and I'm literally my 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 brain is exploded because this kid is not only talking to me about something that he likes, as opposed to why he's miserable all the time, but he's talking about a book. And I find out he's read them all. And this is and I'm I've like I've actually done it. I've got a kid to talk about literature in a positive light. And it was just it blew my mind. It just shows that just because a class does not engage with you. As a unit, those individual learners might walk away and it might change their life forever. And that proved it to me. Oh, that's so lovely. It's so lovely when those like small pockets of joy yeah. come out, isn't it? You know, if you can if you can connect with one of them um, on on whatever level that is, whether that is a, an educational level or a, a something that they leave that's really thought provoking. I think, you know, you're absolutely winning. So um, it sounds brilliant. We've come into the end of our our time, Josh. I know we could definitely talk forever, and I'm sure we will we'll catch up after this. But um, thank you so much for coming on. Did you just want to pop your um, or tell us your Twitter handle so people can absolutely, follow you? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, my Twitter is um, at WorldSmith1680. Um, at WorldSmith1680. Uh, you can also uh, read my blog posts on Voice. Uh, dot com slash uh, users uh, slash Josh Educates. I also have a YouTube channel with Josh Educates. Just give it a search and there it is. Mostly just GCSE English stuff. Don't expect, you know, games or anything. It's quite quite boring if you're not an English teacher or learner. But there it is. Thank you. And what we'll do is we'll put those into the um, the bio so you'll be able to click on those directly Fantastic. from the podcast. Thank, thank you so much. For no worries. Today, thank Josh. you so much. Thank you so much, Holly. Have a great time. Bye. And you.